0: Welcome to the Living It Up podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by b Dratti, the leader in performance golf apparel. Ten years ago, b Dratti started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, b Dratti still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at BeDratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast.
0: This is the Living It Up podcast where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf in this episode, we discuss what's already the story of the year with amateur Nick Dunlap winning the American Express. Rory McElroy is back in the winner's circle in Dubai. Live Golf is only eight days away from practice rounds in Mexico, but questions still remain about who's playing alongside John Rahm. But first, this episode is brought to you by B. Draddy, the leader in performance golf apparel. B. Draddy makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salts of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to beedrouty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PGA Tour winner Billy Hurd III. Billy, what does this win mean for young Nick Dunlap?
1: Well, I suppose we don't know the answer to that because we don't know what his next decision is. Is he going to tee it up this spring at the University of Alabama as an amateur and remain in college and... Run under the NIL deal and probably make million dollars or so doing that, or
0: late breaking he, news: he just declared for Tory Pines.
2: This is this just happened as a, as a pro, or is he like a sponsor? Up as an am
0: PGA Tour so Communications we, just said it out. They didn't say as a professional, so so we, we, so we, so we don't see. know,
1: and it doesn't. He, he, so so that's what I'm saying. So who, who we don't yet know until he tells us if he's going to remain amateur, or if he's going to turn professional, um, he he is, he is now a winner on the PGA tour. He is now exempt for essentially three seasons on the PGA tour by virtue of winning early in the 24 season. He's exempt for the remainder of this year, plus the following two. So through 26, um, it's a big decision, I, I think, but, um, the only thing he gives up by turning professional is the Open Championship in July. He's he's exempt into the Open Championship by virtue of winning the U.S. Amateur this past summer. Um, the U.S. Open allows you to maintain your exemption for that win should you turn pro. That's a new change for them, but the RNA has not adopted that change. Um, He's also in the Masters by virtue of winning the U.S. Amateur, but now as a winning a full FedEx Cup point event, he should receive an an invite to the Masters under kind of the PGA Tour winner category. So he no longer needs his U.S. Amateur winner um, exemption to the Masters. So, I mean, I don't know how you don't turn pro. I don't know how you don't take, you know, up the membership and just off to the races. You're in all the signature events. You give up the FedEx cup points because you didn't earn them um, as a, as a member. But if you were to win again, you would get them back. And um, so it, to me, man, what's a British open worth? I was doing the, I was doing the, the, the math in my head. What's a master's worth. That's that. That was the question that I was doing as I was watching some of this should he not win or 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 whatever and finish second and get you know a, a good jump start to special temporary status, you know those types of things. Um, but uh, oh boy, that's that's hard to with with all the carrots that come for this season and this season especially with the signature events on the PGA tour, I think you've got to turn pro and and off to the races, well, you can get your degree later on.
2: No, I, I I agree. I mean, especially when you look at his his golf resume to this point, he won the junior am, he's won the US Am. He's now a college sophomore. He's won a PGA tour event. Like what what's left to prove in college golf? Um, plus all the like as you said, Billy, all the trappings that that come with this this PGA tour win. Uh so I I mean it's never an easy decision, but you you'd have to think he he'd make the the jump um now, and not to take anything away from what he did, it's an incredible achievement. Is there by chance that this event could be like a false positive though? Because you know the first three rounds are set up for the AMs. It's they're not the toughest courses. It's not you know. What he's gonna see if he goes to Tory, I guess. It, what he'll see at Tory Pines now, that is a big boy golf course. Um, and he's played high level golf, so it's not like he hasn't seen it. But he's been playing big boy plus all of the, and I guess there's no way to get ready for it through college, so this part doesn't truly matter. But you know, in a snap of his fingers, he now has to get. Someone planning his schedule, getting his travel, getting all this stuff arranged, doing these things, and while he probably has an NIL deal, does he have a real agent who may help put all of this in place, ready to? He's got eight of
1: them knocking on his door. If he doesn't,
2: well, I'm I'm sure he's got. But I mean, you've got to sift through all that. No, no, no. You have to sift
1: through that. That that's that's real time. That's real energy. That those, those are those are hard decisions to make in this in this moment. He'd be very wise to kind of punch those decisions in my opinion play tory um and then get him self ready for i guess take uh, phoenix off and the, or no no because Pebble's right on the heels of that
2: i mean so that's the thing he's got the signature you gotta bet, play so. two
1: more in a row to to jump the signature event then you take uh phoenix off i think and you you figure it out in that in that off week, you come back to Riviera for the next signature event.
2: Phoenix isn't signature. No, not oh, this okay. year. It was,
0: was last year. Is oh, okay, this year. okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it just like things are moving really fast for him. They're moving in, really in the, fast. In the best possible way, right? Like you, this is what he's dreamt of becoming.
1: Yeah. I I think to your point, if you're advising him and you're going to turn pro, then you need to play. Before Pebble. You don't want to come out of the gate as a pro, all that hoopla and everything, um, media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, club deal, all that stuff, which which again, he probably has largely most of that sport sorted out. I mean, he was, you know, decked out in Adidas, you know, tailor-made, clearly getting NIL money on on this appearance, regardless of winning. Um, probably getting some NAL money from, from Adidas, but it, it's a wise decision. If he's going to turn pro to play at Tory, get the, I turn pro thing out of the way, and then really get ready for signature events, which come up pretty quick just in the next couple of weeks.
2: Now, and, and here's the other really tricky part of, of this. We're just talking about him. I'm assuming it's one of his teammates was his caddy this week. What does that kid do now? Is he is he wheels up back to Tuscaloosa, or is he talking to his parents, being like, "Uh, hey, this is kind of like the ride of a lifetime. I'm taking this semester. I mean, his. I mean, he, I'm assuming he's on the golf team, and hey, all these things where like this other person is now in it because if you're Nick Dunlap, I mean, so many things are going to change in his life in a heartbeat you definitely don't want to lose your jockey, right? Like you don't want to change that up. So you got to, there's a lot of things going on here.
0: Yeah. There, there are so many moving pieces. It will be fun to watch. I, I share the, the, the same sentiment that you guys have though, that, you know, he, he will absolutely, or should absolutely turn professional, you know, much was made of him obviously winning on the PJ tour, only the eighth amateur to do that in the history of the PJ tour and sort of the second, or maybe third, I guess, was Scott Verplank winning in '85. Phil Mickelson famously won most recently in 1991 at the Northern Telecom Open in Tucson. And I and I took a like a, a trip down memory lane just because I was not aware whether he turned pro immediately. I thought he waited a little bit, maybe for the Masters. And it turned out he won the '91 Northern Telecom in in Tucson. He didn't turn professional until after he won the NCAA's in '91. Stayed in school and graduated won the NCAAs again in 1992 and then turned professional. So he waited a full 18 months essentially to take up the fact that he had won his 2-year exemption. Obviously a different time uh a, you know the, the money on the professional circuit was not what it was, the signature events yeah. and all the things that come with it were not, you know, it doesn't make it the, the slam dunk, but I thought that was interesting just to look back, you know, take take a trip down memory lane and see what Phil Mickelson decided to do uh when he was the last amateur to to do it.
1: Yeah, I think that if there were not the signature events in 2024, um, we'd be having a much different conversation. Uh, You know, because the win only qualifies him for those in 2024. If he were to take up membership, you know, after the school year, after NCAA's and whatever, then he he, and start in 25, he, he wouldn't be eligible for those based on this win. So, I think with the with the schedule shakeup it it changes the calculus a lot.
2: Yeah. And now and I don't want to take anything away from this. Everyone's all excited. It's going to be the talk of, you know, the golf world for most of Tori Pines, you know, at least until he makes the cut or misses the cut. It's going to be the storyline for the entire week. Um but before we all get super carried away. And I know we don't want to put too much into a 19 year old kid, you know, and nitpick him too much. I didn't really get any charisma out of the guy. Um, you know, he's very polished, very you know, in the post round interview. You know, some somewhat starstruck, so it might be very hard to get a read on how much personality is there or isn't there. But I, it just the I'll say with everything in the world going on, the tour needs a super duper star right now. And, you know, there was some talk well maybe it's going to be Ludwig and, you know, is is Victor ascending and Victor seems to have some personality and some things that could be really great and marketable if he can keep finding himself, you know, in leaderboards and final groups. You know, everyone's get excited about this kid and he's got the resume to say that he's got a monster career in front of him. But he also seems to have some Scotty Shuffler vibes where great guy, you, you can't root against him, but it doesn't really make you feel something.
0: Yeah. It, one of the things I was thinking about is we've had some amateurs pop on leaderboards, uh, both in majors, right. Famously at the masters, Sam Bennett was popping around the leaderboard. I think he even held the 36 hole leader was near the 36 hole lead. Has he a guy finished like that Sam, yet? Yeah. I was gonna say that, that, that was a tough look. Uh, but guys like that, Sam Bennett kind of had some swagger, had some of that, uh, I don't know, je ne sais quoi. Uh, I don't get those same vibes from, from Nick Dunlap. In fact, Nick Dunlap beat uh, Neil Shipley in this year's US amateur, and Shipley had, you know, all the vibes and the hair and everything else going on. So I I I agree with you, George, but I but I would wonder like, does the does the personality start to come out as we get to learn more about him, as he plays in these signature events? Time will tell uh, whether or not he he is sort of a, a Scotty Scheffler type or or something else. Uh, but yeah, it did have that similar feeling because we have had in the last five years, there's been a lot of, you know, amateurs popping around and this happens at the masters smaller field. There's a bunch of amateurs in the field. So it's mathematically probably more prone to happen there. Uh, but yeah, this has happened from, from time to time. And and I, and I suppose like, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Billy, like comes into the day with a three shot lead. What were you thinking sort of percentage wise? He's got Sam Burns and Justin Thomas playing in the final group with him. You know, obviously some chasers. It's a course where you've got to go out and, and get it. Um, I, I'll say I didn't think 70 was going to get it done. Uh, but but I I gave him sort of a, a, you know, coin toss, you know, 50-50 chance with a three-shot lead. This
1: episode is brought to you by B. Draddy, the leader in performance golf apparel. Ten years ago, B. Dratti started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, Beedratty still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, T-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdraddy.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Beraddy for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Yeah, I think that's right. That's probably where I would have put it. I might have tipped it to sixty forty, but it was right in that in that coin toss kind of thing. Certainly, you know having having built that much of a lead, I think can be important in those situations when you have have never even really been there. Right. I mean, like this isn't even, you know, like a guy who's trying to win for the first time, who's been out there for five years or or, or whatever and had some chances. This is a guy who's his first chance to win maybe his third PGA Tour event. And so, yeah, I, I think starting the day and then and then definitely off to a off to a shaky start at best, um, you know, kind of just really good shot into the par five fifth to to kick in range to get under par but then quickly i mean just in the water off the seventh hole is like hitting the hosel nearly okay i mean it's 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 almost it's 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 as bad as sam burns hitting it in the water on 17 You, you know i mean those those are really bad golf shots in in the in under all circumstances, but the, you know, a three wood off the seventh tee or something or whatever he's hitting there, it's less than driver is, is should, should not find the water. Um, so that's when he got shaky and then, um, but he hung in there, he hung in there and then, and then made the, made the putt on, uh, 14 when, when Burns had poured it in to pull two ahead, he pulled back within one. And then um, made the putt on 16. I didn't think he was going to make it on 16. That was really where I thought he was going to miss that putt for birdie and Sam Burns was going to walk to victory. That's that's how I saw it, sitting on the 16th green. Um, but alas, the other way around.
2: Yeah, and I, I would say even though he's coming up 18, in um, his post-run interview, he said that when he was in the fairway on 18, hitting his approach, he thought he had a two-stroke lead, not just a one-stroke lead. Um, and I have to say watching the 18th, I was, I was, this is where the golf commentators have got to stop. He's 199 yards out in dormant Bermuda rough. The ball's sitting 70% clean and they are going on like he's got the hardest shot, the lie. He's just gotta be I'm like, guys. The Pins tucked way to the left by the water. He's he knows he has a lead whether it's one or two strokes. He's going to put this so far to the right side of the green. There is nothing to this shot. It's either, you know, he's amped and he's going to smoke a 7 iron or he's going to hit a 6 iron and he is going to give himself two shots to make par and if someone jars one for eagle we'll deal with that problem next. But they were just going on and on and on. Like this shot was buried and, in the rough. there's so were, many factors yeah. and I'm I like, thought
0: they were going on and on because they were waiting to figure out where Sam Burns was going to freaking drop after he snipes that. They one. Did half. It and So they, they almost now. had this like four minutes of like, well, we gotta, we gotta make some drama here out of this. It, and and you know I, were, I couldn't tell if that, like that hill that he had to cover in the first, you know, eight, 10 yards was actually as, you know, sometimes on TV, you don't, kind of get the full depth of the of the carry that he's got to make there or the sort of lip that he's got to cover. And, and I wasn't sure if, you know, Billy, you played there. I don't know if that was as difficult as they made it out to be, or if it was just filling time because Sam was trying to figure out where he last crossed the hazard.
1: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's some concern on, you know, the, the ball was on the upslope in that depression so if it were on the bottom maybe we could you know have had a little bit of a okay he's got to actually get a ball up but it was on the upslope so it's already going up um I was the only thing I was thinking watching that was is he just going to hit a wedge because he thinks he's got a two-shot lead like hitting hitting a hitting a six or a seven iron that bunker on the right is bad You, you know and so And he got very fortunate to to not be in that bunker or not be in the grandstand or not be a whole lot of places um, aside from right to the side of the green. But my concern was he thinks he's got a two shot lead. Is he going to hit a wedge and take his 50 yard wedge shot, you know, from sure. I was going to say,
0: I was going to say the same thing because they had, is it Billy Ray Brown that's on, on course? Is there any sort of like ethical thing around? Like they can't tell him what he can't see sort of thing yeah, going there's, on
1: you know they can answer a factual question but they are not to give information freely if that if that that's makes sense right? So, right so
2: so if the had caddy he, asks like what's that if the caddy asks like hey where are we that's
1: right that's right so i like so i'll give you an example like when when i won i was in the 18th fairway and i thought I had a three shot lead, right? But I didn't know what had happened in front of me, a couple of groups or whatever. Um, and so I turned to Peter Costas and said, I'm up by three, right? Like they're all done, you, you know, cause I wanted to just make sure that that was the case. And he says, yes, you you you, you are ahead by three, you, you know? So he answered a factual question, right? Um, he, they will never come up and say, Hey, just so you know, you know, the guy in front of you made birdie and you're only up by one and blah 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 That that'll never happen. But
0: but you uh, can yeah, answer was, a question of fact. I, I was wondering if he was like trying to say it loud enough, or like he was like, Oh, I think I'm like a good I'm, I'm kind of far away. away and, was, like, was, in the yeah. fairway and they were in the right rough. But but it made me think, like, is there someone, you know, they always have those like headsets on in the crowd. Oftentimes people have those little headsets like if someone would have, was going to say something or, you know, there was all that stuff. Well, going you wonder birds.
1: if like, you know, um, does somebody like get to Nick Dunlap's dad and his dad gets to the caddy, you know, or, 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 you know, something like that, you would, you would have maybe wondered, but I think that probably everybody's just too scared to get in the way of anything. And in, 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 in some totally. ways at that point, but I mean, it, it is a, it is a unique scenario in that the 17th green and the 18th green are a par six apart because you have to go you go from the 17th green you go under the road and back up and around and come back to the 18th tee so um the the birdie that was made by Betahoots and in, in front of him he, he would have not even heard you you know you just wouldn't even have, have, have heard that roar on on the 18th green because it's that far away
0: I think we're gonna stick with bed and hoots though. I like that pronunciation. Yes. Go ahead, Jerry. I have no idea um, how to
1: say it. I was I was the, gonna go with Christian. I was gonna go, I mean, like Zaydenhout. that part I can say.
2: Zaydenhout. Um, the uh by the way, relevant to nothing, there's this great Instagram feed of like, does German really have a word for? There are tremendous things that apparently German has words for. I recommend everybody wasting a solid 30 minutes of your day checking it out. Um, but Moving along from that, the uh, and, and to just kind of close out the way that he won this thing, you know, he he hit, plays it way out to the right, you know, the smart, smart play further right than I think he intended to, but you know, he was not even gonna bother going pin hunting and the chip that he made was not easy. It looked like it might have been a little bit downhill, and then he's got that that uphill front to the green. He lands it on. It's rolling. It's like, oh, this is perfect pace to about six feet, which, you know, again, these guys are extremely good putters. The whole nine yards, these greens are pristine. And, you know, nothing for sure. And to just step up. And, you know, the one thing I did appreciate the commentators pointing out is, you know, at his level, They're like, if he's as good as we think he is, he's just in the process. He's like, I go through my process. I hit the shot like that. If I stay in the process, I don't have to worry about everything else going on around me. And it looked very much like he just stayed in his process. You know, he said his caddy looked at him. He's like, you know, left edge. We've done it a million times. You know, just like this is no, this is not a putt for your entire life coming to fruition. Left edge. You've done it a million times. Let's go. Um, So that that was actually the commentators. Kudos to you guys on on bringing that out. And I mean, good on him. I was, there was a part of me that was curious with JT in that group, knowing he wasn't going to win. I was like, I wonder if JT like blows it past the hole so he can see, he can see his putt to like hook a brother up. But he, JT made his birdie good on him for doing that. Uh, But yeah, I was there was a moment where i was like that would be and what would people what would the reaction have been if if jt had done that like yeah kind of i mean kind of lips it just to make sure to show him and be like i got you
0: yeah i mean jt finishes tied third had he you know not not made birdie there he ends up you know with with a lot of a lot of money out of his his pocketbook it it is humorous though that you know nick dunlap makes zero dollars christian bezay Finishing second, we'll take the winner's check, not the winner's points. FedEx Cup points, mind you, uh, an important nuance there. Uh, but I was curious, and I'll kick it to you, uh, back to you, George. As you look down the leaderboard, obviously Sam Burns with a you know collapse at the end with a few uh, poor, poorly timed uh, errors. Uh, is Justin Thomas, uh, you know, proving anything to you? Do you look down the leaderboard and see others that you think, uh, you know, are, are making some early moves? There, there were there were some people that stood out. Obviously,
2: JT. This is, I think this is the great, if you are, if you are JT, this tournament's probably an amazing slump buster because JT can go make a million birdies. And this is a course that will let you make a million birdies if you are playing well. So, you know, obviously the first three days, they set it up for the AMS cause it's a pro-am and they, they gotta make pins pretty gettable or else it's 10 hour rounds. Um, so the, Again, like I mentioned earlier, is it a false positive? I think we'll find out. He's withdrawn from the farmers. So, as as you noted, Brian, it it sounds like he's got his next two sponsors exemptions for the signature events, um, and so he's just gonna, you know, move move up the coast to uh, Pebble and, and hang out and wait for that. Uh, but the so we'll we'll see on JT. Obviously, everything he did seemed to look right. I didn't see anything that was really bad. The one that actually stood out to me more than as well as JT played was as poorly as Ricky Fowler played, you know, missed the cut two under on the week. And I mean, when you are, I think 13 or 14 under was the cut. I mean, that is way off the pace. And his group was, I think JT was in his group for the first three rounds so like he had a, a fun pairing, he's got a stocking horse that's making a move. Um, So it was kind of surprising to see that he, he seemingly did not have it. And, you know, it is a little bit of a home event for him. He's from Southern California. So, you know, you think the vibes and and everything are there for him. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what Ricky's going to do uh, going forward. Maybe he's a little shook. He's no longer got commercials. Uh, he doesn't know where he's at anymore so we're we're gonna have to see
0: i i suppose for me the only one that's a major red flag is uh scotty Sheffler t17 i mean the guy has not finished outside the top 10 in like two years no i'm obviously kidding. why did he play I, I don't think it's a red flag but I, I was actually gonna ask that same question like why is he teeing it up knowing that he's got a bunch of events on the horizon
2: yeah like this one him being in this unless it's like a sponsor deal um kind of head scratcher is he playing tory he's not signed
1: up for tory so he's okay. not playing tory um so that would be probably why you know he just didn't want to take three straight off you know he, he played century didn't play sony you know you come out Palms brings i mean some i mean it's it's the greatest place to work on your game you know on on earth this time of year it's like a real life simulator it is a real life simulator. the The normalization button is based on Palm Springs this week, and um, so that 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 could be you know just just work on it. You know, there's I mean, there's guys back in the day who who used to not play all winter. Joey Sindelar famously not play all winter. Come to Palm Springs, it was a five round event back then, and he shoot a bunch of 78s and get ready for the season and and so that's that's not how it's being treated you know but no, nobody's really doing it that way any anymore but yeah I don't know maybe maybe he's got an American Express deal he's got he's got a black card that he that he wanted the limit increased on so he needed to go see the the, the CEO there
2: yeah and I was just I mean it was like kind of like all right and you're right he didn't do much of anything but you know there are certain players that as you point out Billy sometimes either they're it's a sponsor deal or they're they're like hey you know to quote Marshawn I'm just here so I don't get fined like they're they're there for a reason that isn't to go win a golf tournament and and do it and I get these guys are wired differently I think Scotty every time he shows up is like there's only like five guys that could actually beat me so I'm probably want to go win because i can um but you know it, that one stood out a little bit i i will i will keep my red flag in my pocket on scotty scheffler until we we start seeing him in some you know full field events where he goes and does scotty things when, when
1: are those full field events he's gonna play
2: well i'm assuming he'll do waste management again he's defending right i guess okay that's 132 so well whatever i mean we're gonna when when the I don't know what golf is anymore, but the, the whole deal of like, you know, the, the big boy events and everyone get upset that, Oh, the, 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 whatever. But when, when the, when the lights shine brightest, uh, I'll tune in to see if Scotty really is got a flat tire or not.
0: And before we move off of, uh, the Amex, uh, you, you talked a little bit, uh, George earlier about, you know, commentary, uh, one Brandel Chambly was in the booth. Again, there's been a lot of kind of rotating cast of characters. It seems like we'll be trying to fill in for, for Paul Azinger. We had Kevin Kisner in Hawaii at the century, and now we've gotten Brandel Chamblee. I'll kick it to you, George, but I I will say I was pleasantly surprised. I thought he just blended right in, like added a lot of good commentary on, I thought sort of the lie, the situation, the swing, you know, swings that he was seeing and, and some shakiness that he was seeing. Um, I thought it went well. I know we've had our public spats with with Brandel on various topics, but I uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I liked his uh, his vibe in there.
2: No, I think I think he did well. Um, and and I was willing to give him a shot. That as much as I can, I really get turned off by his sort of. I'll use the word bloviating, where it just wanders through these esoteric connections to things, and you're like, what are we? I, he he goes on his normal rants that just turned me off because he pulls out things from so far way back that no one can actually verify if it's true or false, but he says it with such sort of tone and conviction. You're like, well, I guess he researched that or it sounds good to me. Um, the only thing he said one on, it was towards the end of the third round where it was, you know, when it was, it was pretty certain that JT was going to be paired with, uh, dunlap and and burns and they're like you know is this does this bode well for jt to have this you know good pairing for him to go win and i mean it kind of turned out to be accurate and he's like well you know in in 55 hogan was excited to play in the final round with jack fleck because they were good friends and fleck nipped him in the us open so it kind of backfired on and i was like what the who how do you know like it but I, I I now have to tip my cap in the moment last night when I saw it, I was like, he did another one, but I, he kind of, I think was right. And maybe it put Dunlap at ease, you know, and I, and it looked like, and I, I'll give JT credit for this. I, I, I ride him a lot, but coming up the 18th, JT kind of pulled Dunlap in, I think kind of gave him like, Hey, they're going to announce you like you go ahead and sort of get your, your class, like JT definitely did some, I'll, I'll call it like big brother things out there that you could sort of notice on the 18th fairway walking up. Um, so, you know, tip of the cap to him uh, to, to do that. It looked like he and uh, Nick shared a very nice moment on the 18th green as well. So um, as much as I'd like to to ride it, JT, um, I'm going to take a week off right now.
0: Yeah, certainly was some a cool moment. There was that funny, you know, call it a hot mic. I'm sure he knew they were listening when when he joked, uh, quipped, you know, is that your first time hitting a spectator when uh, when Nick Dunlap's ball in the 18th seemingly caught, you know, someone in the grandstand or someone in the in the crowd uh, before it rolled down the hill. Um, and then yeah, I, I I sort of joked that he looked like a you know an offensive or defensive coordinator calling plays when he when he shielded that you know 10 second exchange they had mm-hmm. uh, hugging on on the 18th. Uh, but let's talk about what, uh, what was played over in Dubai, Rory McIlroy wins the Dubai desert classic finished runner up last week. Tommy Fleetwood, uh, wins it this week, uh, obviously seems to be in fine form. Uh, what's say you, uh, you know, we, we've often talked Billy about like, when do you peak, you know, is there such thing as peaking too soon? Are we seeing a, a Rory uh, that, that should be very, very dangerous come these signature events and, and rolling into the major season?
1: Well, I think it's always interesting as to where in the season guys play well. And you know, you have guys who who play well early, and you have guys who play well having after having played three, four, five events and kind of get get under them. Rory seems to be a guy who plays better after having time off. And that's what I think that you're seeing to start 2024 with, you know, good form for for two straight weeks in dubai you know winning the dubai desert classic for the fourth time in his career i mean that tells you one he likes the golf course but he also the time of year right he's had some time off he's had whether that's nagging little body things or that's you know structured block practice that you're able to do more at home versus on the road at tournaments and that kind of thing so that's that's what it tells me is it's is it's Rory McIlroy's M.O. To, to play well when he hasn't been playing, um, you know, coming coming back from from practicing hard and, and doing those things at home and maybe being more fully rested. Less media right over over in Dubai that, that he's had to do, um, you know, when he comes to the states for Pebble, presumably. Um, I, I don't know if he's, he's signed up. To he's look still up been doing his,
2: plenty of talking
1: he didn't do much this week. I mean, right. He did, he did some last week, um, but I don't know. It just seems like he hasn't been the statesman men spokesperson that he's been, you know, for the last little bit. And I think that that's good for his golf game. How will that shake out when it comes time for, you know, Augusta in 10 weeks? I, I don't know. Right. But that's, that's kind of the, the one I think that matters for him. That's, that's kind of how we're going to, we're going to judge every year going forward for, for Roy McIlroy is is what happens the second week of April. So he's got to crack that formula. Do I play? Do I not? Do I take a month off in practice and practice and just show up for Augusta? What, how, how do I, how do I do that? But, but that's how we're going to judge every year for Roy McIlroy. So I don't know. We'll
2: see. I mean, I, I do think, I, I think I might get bullish on Roy this year Um. Because stepping away from the the tour policy board, um, and, and, while, and it's funny, he's been saying, I won't say 180 degrees from what he's been saying for the last two years, but all of a sudden this openness to the concept of what, what the new unified golf world is going to have to kind of look like. Um, and not having to be the spokesperson of it, not having to be the face of it, that's now Patrick Cantlay. That's now Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods. Um I forget who else is on that in that room now. Uh I I'm curious to see as a golf fan, um, are we gonna see kind of a little bit of a resurgent Rory who just gets to go out and be a golfer now? I mean, he's still he still is Roy McElroy, he still is at the you know, has a pulpit, but it's not it's not on his title anymore. So he just has to show up and play. And if anyone wants to throw these questions about, Hey, the deal, the merger, this, 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 and this, he can just say, Hey guys, I'm not in the room anymore. So you got to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. Fact-checking myself here. He has committed to uh, AT&T and Genesis. So we will see him at the first two kind of normal signature events. He did not play century. Opting to play two weeks in Dubai, but um, so another week off for Rory to get back on uh, American time, and then out to Monterey for the AT Pebble Beach Pro Am signature event.
0: And George, you noted that he is has been talking. He's been talking a lot about you know a a world tour. Uh, is this just? I don't know revisionist history, like oh, I had this thought all along, and and now I'm just gonna act like uh, yeah, this is the way it ought to be.
2: I don't know to say it's revisionist history. It it may be that no longer having to sort of walk the line and and defend the line, so to speak, for the the PGA tour, he can just sit back and look and realize. It's it's gonna change. Like there's going to be there's going to be a massive change to how the PGA tour runs, operates, funded, everything. Like that there's no there's no there's nothing that's going to happen where everyone's gonna be like, you know what? We looked at all the options and you know, status quo, we're we're just moving forward the way we used to be. It we we can pull this off. So I think it's just the acceptance of yeah, this is all gonna change. And you know, I think and, and I'm I'm probably putting words in his mouth. Um, you know, the way that he shot onto the scene in in many ways, right as he was ascending, that was sort of right in the midst of all of Tiger's real troubles. Um and I think the world wanted him to be the next and and he showed it, right? He had he reeled off four majors pretty quick and it was like well there's this this kid can go win anything he wants when he wants he's been arguably the best driver of the golf ball since he arrived um and and i think i think he gets a lot of, of grief and i don't know how much it weighs on him but you could look and say hey and i'm sure there have to be some people on the european side of golf that looking like, you know, man, if you had stayed here, like golf in Europe could have been really good. Like, we the DP World Tour wouldn't be where it was if you had been more involved. Um, and you you sort of jumped and you chased the money, and you you can't fault it, right? You can't fault, hey, everyone was playing over here, the money was here, Tiger returned. If you're going to do it, you got to do it here. And you know, the, the purses are five, six X in the States, what they are over there, you know, over the course of a season endorsements, the whole nine yards. So I, I think like he's had in some regards, I think he's had an unfair career because a lot has been put on him to be more than just a golfer. And so I'm, like I said, I'm bullish. I hope he gets to just be a golfer this year. I hope it turns out to be great. Um, I think he's not revising history. I think he's just seeing, without necessarily saying, I was wrong, we lost. He's recognizing this is where it has to go. In one way or another, this is what it's going to be.
1: I think how much he gets to be a golfer is going to be largely on him. Right, As we've seen for the last couple of years, he seemingly wanted to talk. And, and wanted to share some of these, these thoughts and stepping away from the policy board certainly is a, is a big step towards just being a golfer. Um, but we had, we've said it for, for a year or so, just, just stop talking and play golf. And, and he's, is he going to do that, you know, in, in the lead up and the wake of whatever the definitive agreement and new PGA tour looks like will be kind of some of the question in my mind.
2: And and I, I will say like, we've said, Hey, just kind of like shut up and play golf. Some of that was because he was, he was getting into the political and all these other talking points side. One thing that Rory has, has done through most of his career, which people have lauded him for. And I certainly, like, it's like, he has not he has he has come across like someone who has not been polished in a PR camp to speak. You know, Tiger Woods gives very canned, very stilted answers. I'm not letting you into the curtain beyond what I'm willing to show you, and it appears very coached and everything else. And And Rory had gotten for a very long time a lot of mileage on being fairly – like average in a good way like he just it seemed very conversational to him if he asked a question he'd give you a thorough answer without seeing guarded or cliched in what he did so I again I I hope he returns to you know Rory of 2018 up till 2018-19 because that was the Rory people kind of loved and you you rooted for and you wanted to see you know, when he would get go in on a hot streak, he'd get that little hop in his step when he's going, and you're like, oh, boy, here it comes. This is, we're about, he is about to reel off five in a row kind of thing. Uh, so that, that would be great. Like, that would be phenomenal for golf to have a generational superstar kind of reclaim. And, and, like, if he gets the Masters, I'm not turning off the final round for the entire day. Like, I'm watching it. It's going to be amazing. And, like, I'll,
0: I'll be rooting for it. Yeah, it's one of those funny things. It, it feels like the storybook uh, is is shaping up to be to be written that way. We've talked about how, in many ways, the PGA Tour has had some great storybook endings uh, to some events. And I was even thinking about that today. Like, could you imagine if if the answer, and again, no offense to Christian Bezadenhut and his family and friends, but it, but if the answer to today's question would have been, Christian Bezdenhout wins by one over you know amateur Nick Dunlap. That would have been like womp womp womp. And, and I and I often think like we've been very lucky, or you could argue the PJ Tour has been lucky to a degree to have some of these storybook endings just just happen because they could have flipped that flip that that script. You know, could have flipped very very quickly the other direction. Um, let's let's pivot a little bit to something that's been talked about quite a bit, and that is obviously the move John Rahm to live was. Uh, the macro story of the last you know month plus. But now there's been a, a trickle of you know, rumors, questions about who's next. I'll kick it to you, George, because you made a very fine point, which is is it is it super puzzling to the point of being head scratching that his team is not buttoned up yet? Like he waited a long time to confirm the uh, the move. Should there be this much drama about who's actually going to be on his team? excuse me, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm wondering
2: if to some extent, is this, is this a little bit of manufactured drama? Because again, like I'm, I'm putting my very cynical skeptical hat on at this point. He, he took, he went dark for so long. It took so long for it to come out. And, you know, he had been pretty clear that he wasn't interested in live. For the duration of all of this stuff. But he, he'd done it in a very polite, you know, even-handed way of like, hey, it's I can't fault them. It's just not for me, and I'm I'm cool with it. Um so for him to make this leap, unveil a team, a name, the whole deal, but then not have players seems impossible. And and it seems impossible also from Liv's standpoint that you don't go spend what they allegedly spent on ROM to not have it go exactly as it's supposed to go. Like, you don't spend $300 million and be like, yeah, the rest will figure itself out, right? Like, so I feel like some of this stuff could be leaked stories to sort of create, air quotes, drama, the team is known and it's going to get revealed and it's going to come out and it's going to be done. Um, no clue who it is, who it could be. I know there's the most recent rumors are Wyndham Clark was inches away and then it fell apart at the last second. Um, then I guess Tommy Fleetwood was thrown apparently like 75 million and said no. Uh, the next up is Tyrrell Hatton is apparently Uh, there but he has said i'm here for now or i'm here now or one of those equivocating like yeah well we'll see um the other name that was bandied around way early said i was super curious but it wasn't the right time and who was in dubai this week so it's not too far away from people that write checks and make decisions was cam young and that would seem he had a resurgent season. I don't know where he sits for getting to majors and everything else. But like I, I just feel like this is a done deal. All of this stuff is noise to create some drama and some interest. But I can't, I just can't for the life of me believe that they are going to be cobbling this together at the last minute. And they're going to get some Joe off the street to
0: round out the team. Yeah, what's interesting is there's been a lot of rumors about amateurs filling out the field now that amateurs can just compete in these events and get NIL money and not affect their, you know, their amateur their NCAA eligibility. That that would be a way that they would they would try to round out some of these teams. That even Nick Dunlap's name was was bandied about. Obviously, we've talked about how his course is, is kind of set for now on the PGA Tour and playing these signature events. Uh, but yeah, it it's been a little interesting to me too. I I never know if. They're trying to create drama or try to build drama. Uh, you know, Tyrell Hatton did did make note, like you said, he, he was like, Yeah, for now. And, you know, I don't know if it's news. There's a lot of guys that are talking, um, you know, sort of intimated that there's a lot of guys that are that are entertaining it right now. Um, there's also been a lot of discussion around have the have the big checks gone away, right? At, at, now it's all market prices for you know what you'd get as a signing bonus or or guaranteed money over and above the the team and individual uh, purses that you're playing for so maybe they're just not meeting the numbers of guys and and compared against the signature event series for this year it's it's a it's a coin flip
2: i i got to think the big checks have not necessarily gone away only because in my opinion as as they're doing the diligence they're valuing like the the SSG group that apparently is going to do something with the PGA Tour PIF, when they're valuing all of this stuff, what they are valuing are the players. Each player has a value attached to them. What does it mean? You know, how does it work? I, I was really struck, and it it was an interview Bubba Watson gave, you know, maybe a month or two ago now, where he was like, "Look, they." These guys, like when you sit down with them, you know, guys come in and they're like, I I want X. And he's like, they show you a very detailed spreadsheet of you know, earnings potential endorsements, this, 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 and this. They they know what they're paying you and why they're paying it. And so if they figured that out, they they have put a value on every single person on the PGA tour, DP world tour, who swings a golf club down, down to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars probably. And so when you say the big checks, like if, if PIF or whatever's going to invest in the PGA tour, that investment's going to be based on the players that are at the PGA tour. So they, they can look at it, honestly, and be like if I pick off X, well, we just move that over to our side of the ledger. And that's that much less we're going to play pay to invest in the PGA tour because they've got it all valued out. So I, th- I think the big checks are out there. Um, I I just, I'm curious what I I would love to have and putting aside where they're not going to give the, the talking points. I would love someone to really give a good interview with players who have sat down with Piff and, and gone like deep, like let's say Wyndham Clark, if that's, if he really went that deep and, you know, obviously, he can't get into the numbers. Most likely, there's some NDAs, but like, what what was it? You got close, allegedly. Why no? Like, what what was? What's it like? What's the pitch like? What are you hearing? What's the? And then, what was ultimately your no? Because I feel like there's something, there's something going, there's something weird, that people aren't taking it. Now that you know, you think post June sixth, John Rom going you would have thought there would have been, I won't say per se floodgates, but John Ron plus five, right? Like the stigma's gone. Everything like the master champ just went like, all right, well, Hey, what, what are we waiting for? So I'm super curious. There's, I have a million questions that may never get answered. Hopefully they will, but I, I'm, I'm curious. And I think if we got a week before uh, the thing I given that we're still feels like we're in some petty wars. We may hear John Ron's team get announced Thursday of Tory Pines.
0: And speaking of questions that might get answered, uh, Jay Monahan went to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to meet with Yasser. Uh, you know, Billy, what say you? We've talked a little bit about the timing of this and and sort of like everything that would need to happen before something gets announced. Do you think we're, we're any closer, and and what's your you know prognostication of when this all goes down?
1: Well, we're only closer by definition because no matter when the date is, we keep turning the calendar over, and and yes, thus we are closer. Uh, but it, it just doesn't feel like we're closer. Um, but and 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 maybe that means we are closer. Maybe maybe the the kind of lack of trickle out of information or or whatever means that there are like, you know, real conversations that are now really guarded by NDAs and, and, and that kind of thing that, that, that are happening. Uh, But it's look, they're not going to do it at a signature event, right? So if they don't do it this week, they're not doing it the week of Pebble. So they could they could announce something the week of Phoenix, you know. We've talked about they're not going to do it the week of Genesis for Tiger. They're not going to do it the week of Arnold Palmer Invitational. So you really you start coming down to just a couple of days where where this could really be, you know, announced and it, and it's got to be announced on a Monday because you got to kind of let it sift out, you know, before the tournament starts. You know, um, so I don't I, I don't see you know, how it's there, there's only like three days on the calendar now that it could be announced before the masters, you know, so, so putting my hat on, you have, uh, February 20th, you have February 26th, and then you have March 25th. Those are, those, those are the dates that it could be announced in, in, in my opinion. And, um, you know, we'll see. Typically, there's a there's a board meeting on the PGA Tour at the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. That's kind of been a standard one. So that's first week of March. So maybe that's when they get it done and announce it on March 25th, after the, you know a couple of weeks after the players. But um, I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like we're any closer. To me, you, you don't hear enough of of things kind of bubbling to the surface. They haven't even announced what they're doing with uh, SSG in total. It kind of felt like maybe that was going to get announced separately. Uh, we, we've, you know, just announced that that's the one that we're pursuing from a U.S. private equity side. There's been no communication to players out, outside of, you know, since since the year end on 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 that front. And so we'll see.
2: It's two two things. One, I had like a lightning bolt of what would have been the best possible like announcement. Because you had said Waste Management was only 132 players. Is that right?
1: Yeah.
2: And a, a full field could be what, 144? 156 would be a full field.
1: But daylight, daylight limits it early in the year to, to 132, so, 144.
2: How incredible would it have been the Monday of waste management, it gets announced peace in our time, unification and like ROM DJ, Expanding Reed, the field. Bryson, they expand the field. These guys come in the most raucous thing ever. However, live has an event opposite of waste management. So that will not happen. Um, So yeah. for, for a hot second, I was like, this could have been incredible, but it won't happen. Sigh. the, the thing that worries me at this point is with with SSG involved is that we are now, and the fact that Jay went to, to Yasser, um, when, when you're doing deals, you'd be amazed how big of a thing it is when the principals are getting sort of brass tacks-ish, who has to go to who? And it becomes, like, I have literally been in wild-ass, like, cutthroat meetings that the argument is, where is the meeting going to be? Are we going to them? Are they coming to, we are, we will goddamn not get on a plane. They want this deal done. They can come here and have these final talks. I mean, this stuff becomes major measuring contests. Beyond that, because of this third party now with SSG in it. My concern is we have this triangle where the tour is like, okay, we have, we have a deal. SSG will do this. SFG will say yes. If you say yes. And then Piff is telling Jay, well, if they say yes, we say yes. And, and I've been in these situations where it's like, cool. No one's saying No but no one's saying yes. And it's like, well, they have to say yes. I'm not saying yes until they say yes. And then it becomes this another round of just bonkers, like pissing match of, yeah, if they say yes, we'll say yes. And you go round and round and round. And I'm I'm getting nervous. We might be getting into that territory
0: right now. Yeah, I I do wonder if the SSG, like I've always been skeptical that they would announce them separately, but I almost feel like the SSG part has to be wrapped up. like The valuation and the investment number has to be pencils down and then it has to go. And so when I heard he was getting on a plane, it sort of was to me like maybe this was the SSG pencils down moment and now he's taking it to, to Yasser and saying like, hey, we think we're close. You know, we've got some details we got to hammer out, but how does this number look to you? Maybe I, I don't know why else you get on a plane. in, in a world of like Zoom meetings, I, I always think like it's got to be monumental, right? To, to hop on the plane, why would you do that just to be like, oh, and and we'll we'll come back in in a month and, and a half and 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 figure here, it out again?
2: Here, here's the other thing that could be part of it is the the for the SSG deal to get done they have to know what the deal is. If if there are still five open slots or four open slots on live, SSG doesn't know what its deal is because it doesn't know who those four spots are yet. So, like, I think Jay, part of this may in fact have been Jay going to be like, all right, man, like, if we're doing a deal, like, you and I have to look each other in the eye, you have to tell me who's coming. So I can go back and tell these guys Who's going? Those numbers get done. Your numbers get done. It gets done. And I, I mean, I think that 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 could have been part of this. Because there very clearly is space open. John Rom does not want to show up with traffic cones. He's someone is someone of name is going to round out that team. At least one other, you know, player that we all know and has a decent amount of game is going to round out that team and it's going to happen. And I, maybe what Jay is doing is sit down to look him eye to eye and be like, tell me who's going so we can run our numbers. We can
0: get this done and we can pull this thing together. As always, we'll see. And when I look ahead, uh, you know, to the schedule, we can talk about the the farmers at Tory Pines. But there was one other piece of news in the in the golf world that you know it was just a a bummer when I heard it. Not not entirely surprising, given the world of of media and in particular print media. And this was that Sports Illustrated, as we know it, uh, may be dead. Letting go a lot of their editorial staff. I don't know if that means they're going into you know, a, a potential sale or, or if Sports Illustrated, as we know, it will, will never exist uh, going forward. Uh, George, talk to me about maybe your, your favorite memories of, of Sports Illustrated and what, what this uh, sort of, what this means from a media landscape standpoint. Well,
2: I'll start with the, the mice for Sports Illustrated for me was, I, I think it was probably 12. I got a subscription for Christmas and it was it was kind of one of those weird moments as a kid where you feel like you have a grown up magazine, and it comes for you. And like it was it was always delivered like on a Wednesday or Thursday. You would get it. And I mean, I would read that thing cover to cover. I might have read before I was in my twenties. Five books cover to cover. I read every Sports Illustrated cover to cover when it arrived to devour the articles, the football preview, going through like. Looking at every single team, reading all the summaries, the basketball, all the March Madness previews, the whole deal, like just digesting all that information. And it was it was awesome. And then you I discovered writers like Alan Shipnuck and I read like his story about the Swallows and you you would get these writers who would do these long form pieces about things in sport that were kind of off the beaten path. Or from you know a city that wasn't yours, and you could just see and like, for a for a kid who loved sports, it was, it was what I read, and it was the probably the only thing I read, um, and so like I and the and for me, the 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 thing from Sports Illustrated that I truly truly loved and went, I almost went to first every time was Faces in the Crowd, um. First, did I know anybody in Faces in the Crowd, and then. I can tell you, I spent many nights falling asleep thinking, what do I have to do to get faces in the crowd, right? Like that was the thing and I wanted it. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, so it, it's a bummer. Is it a stunner? Of course not. Magazines in the ability to get information instantly now, who wants to wait a week to get a story that happened on Sunday? Like you just, it. I don't know. The only way I think it could survive or get reimagined is almost in the vein of what the golfer's journal has become. Um, And I don't want to say that's just to be a quarterly, but you really give these really long form articles with just great photography, a place to breathe and exist. And you will have a very niche audience. It will never be delivered on every doorstep, no matter what, but it is it's just hard because we can get what we want so fast. And and even if it's a long form article, they can just upload it now. And there it is. So um it, it's a bummer, but I, I can say I think I still have a subscription to Sports Illustrated that goes to an address I haven't looked at in God knows how long. Um, but it's it's a bummer, but I, I haven't missed it over the last five or six years. I, I mean Cause you can get it all online. You can, you can go to si.com and get their college football preview. You can get all of it um, without the magazine.
1: Yeah. Faces in the crowd was, is definitely one of the, one of the cooler ones, especially when we were playing like college athletics. Cause there would be like some people that you, you knew or that you knew of, or, you know, there were a couple of Naval Academy athletes in there every once in a while, while, while Brian and I was at school. And then there, you know, might be some like random golfer that you played with, like, two years ago in some tournament that, you know, made back to back, made two aces in a round. And so he ended up in faces in the crowd or something, you know, or whatever. Um, but I, I, I read, I read Sports Illustrated from back to front. I, I, you know, turned immediately to the back cover and read Rick Riley's article. And um, so that was like my memory of, of, of Sports Illustrated and then kind of full circle then getting like myself interviewed by Rick Riley and being like stories that he did, like on me coming, coming back to, to that, you know, it was, um, it was probably like the full circle moment for me with sports illustrated. I, Rick was no longer with sports illustrated when those interviews occurred, but um, that's, that's my, you know, memory. I always thought that was just the, the most brilliant one page article, just the way that Rick Riley wrote and told a story was kind of just, it just captivated me. And I, I, you know, that's, that's how I read sports illustrated last, yeah. last page first.
0: No, I was the same way. Last page first. I'll give you two funny ones. One is uh, if you remember when you got sports illustrated or if you renewed it, they'd often give you some sort of like, whether it was like a jacket or a bag or a video or whatever it was. And I'll never forget when I was growing up, we got the NFL greatest hits video. And and when I was younger, We didn't have a ton of VHS tapes, So as a kid, you know, you're five, six, eight years old. You just watch these things over and over. And we watched NFL greatest hits one summer, I think, like almost every day with other you know, videos we were watching. And the thing I chuckle about now is every one of those, you'd have been not only flagged for unnecessary roughness, you'd probably been kicked out of the game and fined, you know, $100,000. But instead, they put out this video, like NFL's greatest hits, and it was fantastic. The the other interesting memory, and, and this one kind of tugged at my heartstrings when I thought about it, uh, classmate of, of Billy's passed away in in the war, but he and I got called out uh, in a very humorous episode by one of our economics teachers because we were we thought we were being very slick passing Sports Illustrateds, you know, within class so that we were you know reading those and not paying attention to economics class. Uh, so that that was a, a very funny one when I thought about you know reading it all the way through college and and sneaking around reading it during class.
2: I was going to say we talked about Rick Riley a little bit, and and I definitely got to his last page well before i finished the rest of it but for anybody who just truly loves great sports writing you know he he turned into the last page guy but if you go to the early days of sports illustrated like his some of his long form writing like just a really really impressive impressive writer if there's if there are si archives out there i i highly encourage you to go back you know and this is what have been in the early 80s and and whatnot like that dude could really, really write impressively. Um, And I probably in some of the ways that I learned to write and carried to my legal writing, you know, the, the way that these guys can just tell a story kind of tightly, but still with, with good, you know, imagery and everything that goes with it. Like it, it's something that I really do feel. I wonder for like, and this is a little nostalgic moment, but like for our kids and for people who like we get such concise writing, whether it's Twitter or all the other digital forms, it just comes super quick that like you don't get to see just really great writers who know how to say a million words in a thousand words. And and that is truly some of the gifts. And I think like the Sports Illustrated writers that had come through there, like those guys just had a gift to paint an incredible picture In whether it was a thousand words or fifteen hundred words, that was truly
0: remarkable. Yeah, definitely uh, the end of a of a sports journalism era for sure. But who knows? Maybe maybe it'll come back and maybe in in even better form. So what is coming up next? We have the farmers out at Tory Pines. Uh, I'll ask you, Billy, about about what we should be thinking about for Tory Pines. But but I will say this has always been kind of a a love hate one for me. I, I love the views. I've played both the north and the south courses, so. Anytime you've played a PGA tour track as an amateur, you sort of have this, uh, you know, feeling of, Oh, I've hit these shots. I've, I've experienced that wind, whatever it may be. So I've always loved that part, but gosh, I just, I just kind of hate the slog that is Tory Pines. Sometimes it's brutally long on the South course. The rough's always up. It just seems like a, a very, very no fun test of golf Uh, and I'll kick it to you.
1: My playing career at Tory Pines would agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said, um, you know, I, uh, did not play particularly well there. And, um, so I didn't play there very much if, if you, if you, if you, kind of add, add it up, but, um, you know, quick week this week, we, uh, final round will be played on Saturday to avoid the, uh, AFC NFC championship games on Sunday. So, you know, pro-am Tuesday, first round Wednesday, you're talking about trying to, you know play two golf courses coming off of a play three golf courses. It's a uh, play the play three being the uh, American Express that we just finished up this week. So um, it's a compressed timeline, especially for for rookies, for younger players who who haven't been to both those places. it's It's a really hard week as a rookie. so it to again be challenging for for Nick Dunlap to to make that move. He's listed in the field as an amateur as of right now. Uh, who knows where that will, will go, but um, Torrey's a big boy golf course, Brian, as you mentioned, roughs up. It's long um, Marine layer, ball doesn't go very far, all, all those kinds of things. And, and really the, the North course is no joke anymore. The, the, the redo that happened maybe seven years ago of, of the North course, it used to be, you know, where, where somebody would shoot 62 out there. And, and I mean, that's it's it's no longer that golf course from from a length perspective and a, and a difficulty perspective so it's still easier than the south but but not by an order of magnitude
2: by the way two things just struck me the first is i realized i think taylor made is in like carlsbad or near that area taylor uh, in carlsbad titles in, the, is in carlsbad uh, they're all in carlsbad well and uh nick dunlap Very prominently had a tailor made bag. So he could be this, this could be a, hey, come, come home. Let's talk it through like tailor made. We're going to, we're going to talk about the whole picture. And so this could actually be a good thing for him. But the unrelated to any of that, Billy, you'd mentioned like Tory never worked for you. We, we hear, you know, players are horses for courses, whether it's grass type, whatever it is. If, if you had to define like, if you had to say you are a horse for a course, like what, what is your like grass type? Like what's your course type that was like, this is where Billy Hurley is big red marker on the calendar. Like we are, our schedule is going here other than congressional.
1: Yeah. Well, all right. So you took the easy one, but, um, Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, Hilton head, you know, Harbortown would, would, would be one. Um, I think the ones where, for, for for me you 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 had to look at like where was length not as big of an advantage you know it was, was was not a long hitter never never been a long hitter and so you know tory's definitely a place where where length seems to be a really important piece of the puzzle um so so places that maybe are more target golf um you know I'll hit a driver to the same spot somebody hits a 2 iron and we can each have 150 in doesn't really matter to me from from that standpoint versus if you know my driver and I've got 190 and you've got 160 like that's that's a big deal kind of kind of thing from a from a distance standpoint so those are um probably the considerations that go into like the horses for courses um for for me, I also enjoyed par 70s, um, you know, because not as many par fives. So not as many kind of easy scoring opportunities for the rest of the field. Um, enjoyed hard courses anytime it was, you know, if you didn't have to shoot 20 under to win. Like I had I had better weeks at, at 10, 12 under winners kind of things.
2: So basically we're setting up a match between you and Kisner, see who's... Yeah, very, very, very,
1: very similar games obviously he got a lot more out of it in his career kind of kind of than i did um he probably was a was a better putter overall and and turned himself into a darn good ball striker
2: so um but definitely but, not a better hybrid player
0: no not a better hybrid player that would that would be hard to do well boys this was a fun one i i saw a funny tweet out there i'll, I'll get it wrong but directionally this is right where it said you know the average uh owgr of winners thus far on tour is like twelve hundred and you know eighty five or something like that so so maybe someone completely random will win this week at Torrey Pines uh but it'll be fun to watch and thank you Billy for the reminder that this is a Saturday finish uh I actually really really like that they did that because then we can all just watch football and not do what I was doing today which is toggling back and forth between uh you know football and, and trying to catch what was going on at the Hope so oh on a
2: personal note there is very few things in life that will upend your Sunday morning worse. Then getting a text from, so I coach my son's basketball team. We've talked about this in the past. I I went and went out and got coffee this morning, and there's like a coffee shop right down the hill from my house, hanging out there, it's the usual Sunday mornings, chat with some friends. I get back. I am literally like about to sit in my favorite chair, do the crossword puzzle on my phone, and I get a text from the assistant coach of my team at like 10.03. Hey, did you see our game got rescheduled to 10.30? No, no, I did not see that text. And as the coach, did I send out a reminder to any of the kids on the team that like we had, the game had been rescheduled? Nope, because I was sick all week, and it goes to like my Gmail account where everything goes to die. So I had not checked. It was just completely wiped out this week. And I had to go wake up my own son who plays on the team. <laughs> we have to go right now. And thankfully, six kids showed up. We we fought hard. We did not get to win. But it, my Sunday from that moment on was just like off its axis with just that startling like ugh, crap
0: moment. Yeah, for us, it was the cancellations, uh, which that's that's another story altogether. Uh, but, boys, this was a, a fun one. I look forward to covering it this time next week. See you, boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.